everyone. Welcome to part two of the December edition of the Town Sports Trust podcast. If you've missed part one, you've missed us reflecting on recent games, chat about the goalkeeper situation, and we've looked into uh, Alan Campbell's start of the season in more detail, and the boys have picked out their best moments of 2021. Uh, in part two, we're going to have a chat around supporter safety. We will discuss the fan-led review led by Tracy Crouch, which was um, released in full last month uh, with a number of uh, eye-catching things. We'll then look ahead to the matches to come, up to and including Coventry on New Year's Day, and then we'll have a discussion around what's been called Plan B, the new measures for the uh, latest variant of COVID-19, before wrapping up this podcast. Before we get going on this episode of the podcast chaps i think it's only right to send our prayers well wishes and thoughts to the friends and family of brian rourke uh, who is sadly in hospital after an incident away to qpr which we're going to discuss shortly no one should go to a football match and not return home safely so the thoughts of this podcast and luton Town sports trust and all luton fans with you brian and we hope you make a swift and speedy and full recovery absolutely kev yeah absolutely Okay, let's uh, let's talk about that game then, Tony. I'll start with you. You were in the away end with myself that day. Um, we have written to QPR as a trust about that game. We uh, we updated our members. We asked for a members uh, eyewitness accounts of the day, and, and, and we're going to take this up strongly. But we can have a chat about it on this podcast. That's fine. How did you? Um, How did you feel you was treated as an away fan and did you think it was acceptable in terms of safety? No, not at all. I I think the whole thing was was handled very, very badly, both by QPR and by the Metropolitan Police. Um, For the life of me, I couldn't understand why the game was played on a Friday night. Um, You know... Again, Sky had a, a lunchtime kickoff the following day, and it would have made more sense to play uh, our game that day because playing it late on a Friday evening uh, gave supporters on both sides the chance to drink excessively, which would have, you know, made the situation much much worse. Um, plus, as well, the game was advertised as a family game, which quite clearly it. it wasn't and there is history between Luton and QPR um, going back quite a few years so the, the Sky decision to pull it forward to Friday night you would have thought that um, the home club or even the Met Police would have would objected to that um, the actual stewarding was heavy handed there seemed to be no um, proper organisation amongst QPR. They only had two turnstiles open. Um, They had stewards checking people uh, to see if they had tickets or not because apparently there had been intelligence given that uh, Luton fans were travelling down without tickets and quite clearly there was no evidence of that whatsoever. And I think the police should be ashamed of themselves the way... They organised it, let both sets of supporters out at the same time. There was no information or clarity given to Luton fans about where they should go. Um, The main Uxbridge Road, the police were virtually non-existent along that, and that is where the the main incident that happened to Brian happened there. Um, There were lines of police there. There was one incident where I left the ground where... Uh, a Luton fan was pushed forward into a friend of mine who was leaving the ground and for no reason at all this police officer just this pushed this Luton supporter and then uh, I was quite incensed about it along with a lot of people around me. Um, we actually uh, obviously uh, took umbrage at that and this police officer just ran behind uh, a row of his colleagues and the next thing the two police horses came in and they were just shepherding Luton and QPR fans um, down towards uh, the same tube station. Um, I've heard, because I went down on the train with some friends, um, I'd heard about the coaches being um, at a fair point away from 
the ground and Luton supporters then having to walk up through uh, South Africa Road to get to the away end. The whole thing was uh, <laughs> abysmal, appalling. Um, you know, you, you hear the old phrase, couldn't organise a piss up in a brewery. Never was a, a phrase more apt than it was for that night there. Um, looking back on it with hindsight, and, you know, this is my own feeling. I'm not saying that this is the case at all, but it almost seemed to me like the, the Metropolitan Police were actually uh, arranging it that way. That's how it certainly came across and, and, and seemed like it. And uh, you're right, we are, we are writing to them and, and the football authorities and the Football Supporters Association, and we are going to protest in the strongest possible terms and we will not let this lie. This isn't right, is it, James? I mean, you've mentioned at the end of the last podcast how great it is to have, sorry, the last part, how um, great it is to have supporters back. Supporters have got to be treated with safety and with the utmost respect, haven't they? Yeah, of course. I mean, it, it's, it's a game of football. Um, no, nobody wants to go back to the dark days of the 80s, 70s and 80s. You know, and I've long, I've long feared that uh, it might be going that way because of... Uh, you know, the political uh, and social upheaval in the country, which was a large part of what was behind the hooliganism of back then. So what you don't need then is the authorities to be exacerbating any of that. You need to find ways to make it safe and better for people to just go to a football game watch it and come home and it, it, it can't be any simpler than that I know that not every ground is going to be like power court we've got train station either side so you, the home fans go one side and the away fans go the other side but well, Kenworth, Kenworth Road isn't is it no. and it's become a long running standing joke among Luton fans but the beach path announcement can be heard in Dunstable. Everyone in the ground mm. can hear yeah. that. It is clear. It is concise. If you're a home fan or an away fan, you know where is able, where is allowed to go, and where not allowed to go. You're told in that announcement how to get away from the ground safely. That's all fans should need. But QPR are often none of that. Yeah, I mean, I've I've heard all the same stories of, as Tony. I, you know, wasn't around to see it with my own eyes, but. Um, you know, if, if you've got ticket turnstiles that can read a barcode, why are they holding people up to personally check them or things like that? It just doesn't add up. So something's gone quite significantly wrong there in the way that it's been managed, uh, certainly by the police, maybe by the club, I don't know. Um, it would have to be investigated. But, Which is what we're pushing to happen. Yeah, and I'm glad you are because I'm. You know, everyone that I've spoken to that was there that has um, similar stories to tell. They're mostly all focused on the police and how they were treated. You know, all of them treated like hooligans. That's not right. You know, if you start from that base, where do you go? It's 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 not it's not sustainable, and it's going to lead to people getting really aggravated and there being more more trouble than perhaps there was ever going to be. Perhaps there was going to be none and then there was some. So it's it's not good to see. And, um, you know, when the ultimately when the result is a supporter lying in ICU because the policing was such that uh, a Queen's Park Rangers fan was as I understand it, able to come up behind somebody and hit them over the head with an object. You know, where are we going? It's not right. I mean, we're all football fans here. We all go to games. I I dare say we all like a little bit of an edge when we're at games, intimidation, whatever the word is. But it has to end inside the stadium, doesn't it? You know, I'm a Luton fan. I'll sing songs at a QPR fan. They'll sing songs back at me. It might get intimidating, you know, but it ends the second that the full-time whistle goes, surely. I mean, that's part of part of football, like James said in the last podcast. You go home with um, fellow football fans and you chat about 
what has just happened. But I got the sense that QPR, Tony, that um, it was the stewarding in particular that caused a lot of the intimidation over the course of the evening. And, and an eyewitness account that came back to us, uh, which, you know, which I won't name, um, said that they thought that it was adding fuel to a fire that was already beginning to simmer. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, th- th- this is the the second time I've attended a game at QPR where um, it's been heavily attended by Luton fans and they've missed like 15, 20 minutes of the game. Now, th- that's not right because, I mean, when you consider that QPR were charging £34 a ticket, you know, which... I'm angry about that because that's a blatant rip-off. As, as well. we alluded yeah. to on the last episode, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and even then you can't get in the ground and you miss 20 minutes. I mean, I was lucky. I was in the lower tier and you got straight through. There was no issue there. But there was no stewards on the lower tier checking Luton tickets. Where, you know, they, they weren't there. They weren't asking you to see your ticket. You, we just went into the barcoders and went straight through. So... There's inconsistency there in QPR's story. Mm. You know, so where's the logic and the sense in that? You know, I, I, I don't I, understand the ticketless fan thing. Um, yeah, it happened to disastrous effect in the Euro final, didn't mm. it? But most modern grounds, it's not like the 70s and 80s, you can just hop in or tailgate people in anymore, is it? It's, and not only that, but... We're not going to Wembley here. We're going no. to Loftus Road, with all due respect. And also, the game's on television. Yeah. And you've got a very generous ticket allocation. Yeah. Well, the, the thing I couldn't understand about that, if, if you look at a, a lot of the European games, they do that ch- ticket checking, you know, but, but they do it, they cordon an area of the ground off, and they have lots of stewards there and do it, and then they let the stewards get way away from the turnstiles. Now, they can do that at Loftus Road. Mm. You know, it's not like there's alleyways or passageways that they couldn't all cover. They could do that, just have them there, and, and, and it would alleviate it. You know, you could have more stewards there. And, and they've said there was a bottleneck trying to get up to the, to the upper tier. But you and I know, Kev, that there's two entrances to that away tier at either side of the ground. So why didn't they have both of them open? Yeah, I, I don't accept QPR's excuses. That's again, it it's not it's not Wembley Way with eighty thousand people on the no. ticketless eighty thousand people on Wembley Way. It's three three thousand ticketed fans trying to get in. It's exactly. It's how, how do they manage every single home game if that's the situation? I mean, and, and you said something before we did the podcast. You made a point. That I've remembered, Kev. Is that how they handle it when they play Millwall at home? Or if they play Chelsea at home? Or any other London club if they played them at home? So why is that, you know, why why is it that there always seem to be problems with us when we play at QPR? Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's... I, I mean, the events before the ground are one thing. Sorry, before the game are one thing. But the events after the game are a whole different level um, obviously, someone's left fighting for their life and things like that. As football clubs, does a uh, exit plan need to be better shared? I mean, I've just mentioned that at Kenilworth Road, the announcement, the beach path announcement, is far and wide. It's ten minutes before the end of the game. You can set your watch by it. It's actually a disappointment when the woman weren't doing it for a couple of games, wasn't it? And we had that mm, bloke, and yeah. then, now the woman's back. It's a laughing matter, but it's not a laughing matter, is it? It's a serious thing. That's the least that a football fan deserves, doesn't it? Because I haven't been to some of these grounds for two years, and my memory's shite. So I can't remember, you know, I, I probably couldn't even remember how I got into the damn place, let alone out of it again. It should be there for every, everyone who goes to the game should know how to get out safely for their own protection, if nothing else. And it was the same at Blackpool on Saturday. 15 minutes before the end of the game, there was an announcement that away fans had to leave on the right-hand side of the ground, having come in on the left-hand side of the ground, exactly identical to what happened to QPR. Albeit this time there was at least an announcement. So you go out, you go past, the home fans are on the stand to the left, you go through um, a load of metal gates, and then you're out. 
and there's nothing else out there. There's no police. The police are all on the other side from where the away fans went in, where I presume they were expecting away fans to come out again. Away fans have all parked on that side of the ground because that's where they went in. So obviously in those horrendous conditions, they wanted the shortest trip into the away end. So you're left to fend for yourself. Okay, there was no hostility between Luton and Blackpool, and that's fine. But you still had to walk around in pretty dark skies, dark roads, walk all the way around the ground. And it's not just a case of walking around the ground. You had to walk right the way around the streets. You know, you're adding 10, 15, 20 minutes to the journey. And if you didn't know where you were going, you could easily have got lost. And there's absolutely no help. Now, away fans shouldn't be subjected to that just for going to a football match. It should be clearly pointed out how you get out safely. That's the very least as an away fan you deserve. Yeah, absolutely. And if you if it's a situation where you both sets of supporters have to use the same road, then one of the sets of supporters are going to have to be kept behind in the ground, aren't they? It's not rocket science. There's there's many ways to get around that and, and, and do fact, it safely. I mean, sometimes, particularly if you've lost a game, you're a bit pissed off if you've got to hang around. But if you're told in advance, say 30 minutes before the end of the game, and you don't want to hang around, then you can leave early, can't you? Mm. You know, and and avoid that and avoid all of the the mad Russian things. But to do it so quickly or not to announce it at all, that just that just leaves everyone in a I don't know if unsafe is the right word, but in a situation that could develop badly for everyone. And that's that's not you know, that's not if you're not an expert of Shepherd's Bush, you wouldn't know how no, to have got to Why a tube station yeah. on 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 that Friday night, and that's where problems could lie. If you'd gone, if you'd turned down the wrong road or something into the wrong parts of what's not a particularly nice place to be in anyway, you're opening yourself up to an attack. But even even in this day and age, with the it's not as if uh, the communication is bad. You, you know, the, the media, you've got the web. The clubs talk to each other. All all the Met and QPR had to say was. Luton fans, please use White City. Plain fans, use Shepherd's Bush or the other way around. Yeah, why didn't they do that? Because going down Uxbridge Road, you had all supporters mingling. Now, granted, apart from that one incident, a terrible incident with Brian, um, we were mingling with QPR. There was no hassle whatsoever. But the threat's there, though, yeah. isn't it? And yeah. it was the same on Saturday. There was no, there was no issue. Coming out of Knott's Forest... The home fans are above the away fans at Notts Forest, aren't they? In the same stand. They put a little fence above the uh, away fans in case anyone decided to throw anything down and things like that. But coming out, I was mingling with Notts Forest fans. You know, Notts mm. Forest fans came up to me and said, Christ, we've stole a point there. Mm. And, you know, a bit of banter about that. And, you know, how shit's your striker not scoring a penalty and all this. That. And, and that's absolutely fine. It was it was all jovial. I mean, Nottingham's a nice place. Mm. No offence to Shepherd's Bush, but it's not a particularly nice place. But... The fact that the rivalry seemed to be ignored is probably what created the carnage. <clears throat> yeah, yeah it's, yeah, it's possible. I mean, if you're coming out of, if you're going to a football ground, it's all right to give verbals and sing songs against other fans. That's that's expected. But if you're getting aggravated to the point of physical violence, what is going on? just a game you know what I mean mm. just a bloody game and you, you know you've all been really really upset and frustrated lashing out at people for and particularly sucker punching people from behind for just I mean they've got the guy haven't they so yeah, people they can't say too much about it but the other thing that I found worrying and concerning was the fact that when uh, Brian got injured, uh, it was called in, but it was called in as a Category 3, not Category 1, when he had a, a, a serious head injury. But his, uh, his wife took, was on the radio, and yeah, she it, said it, it took it an took hour and 49 minutes to get there. That's disgraceful. Yeah, yeah. I've spoken to the first responder, who I know listens to this podcast, actually, and I really appreciate his thoughts, yeah. because he contributed a lot to uh, what we've put to QPR. And he, he, he was the first man on the scene treating Brian, and he said that the ambulance, it, the ambulance, it felt like it took an hour to get to him, at least 45 minutes. 
but potentially an hour. Now, that isn't acceptable to anyone in this world, least of all a football fan coming out of a football ground. Mm. And what I don't understand is surely an ambulance has to be on a much larger standby for a football game in case there's a serious injury or something mm. than an hour. Well, they'd have St. John's in the ground, wouldn't they, at least? Yeah, I mean, you, there's got to be something close by Loftus Road or Kyan Prince Foundation Stadium, as I should call it, that suggests that an ambulance can get to Uxbridge Road, which is a what, a 10 minute walk at most, in quicker than that time? It, that is just, it's just not, not acceptable. Um, it's not acceptable you, from humanity. You, you don't know um, what bearing that delay has had on, Absolutely. on his condition, do you? Yeah. You know, that, uh, it's, it, uh, I'd urge everyone to go and listen to that anyway, actually. Justin Dealey did it with um, his wife, uh, and she said that. He's off life support and he's probably going to have to learn how to walk and talk again. Uh, so it's good, but it's good that he's here, but he should never be in that position. He, he, he's caught COVID though, hasn't he? And he's, mm. he's had pneumonia. Yeah. You know, so as if the guy hasn't got enough on his plate without that. You know, we're all rooting for him. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. And, and it just shows you actually when the chips are down that the Luton family do come together and look after our own. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, all of our thoughts are uh, with Brian. We really hope they make a full recovery. And then, you know, beyond that, we just hope that clubs respect away fans a little bit more, allow them uh, better care coming out of a ground, better care coming into a ground, but certainly better care coming out of a ground. So at least they can take their own safety upon themselves. It's the very least that clubs can do. Really, it's you know, it's it's just it's just communication. Fans will put up with whatever the communication is if they're communicated to in a sensible, reasonable matter. Fans will put up with it whether they like it or they don't like it because it's for their own safety. But there was none of that at QPR on that Friday night and that was extremely, extremely disappointing. You can't have the police instigating aggro either though from what you said, like get, getting pushed for no reason and then one of them going to hide behind his, his mates. That's They're there to keep the peace and de-escalate. That's what they're there for. Yeah, somebody said to me, oh, you know, when, when I, I said about that incident, they, they said, oh, they're just making sure that they'll still get their overtime in the future. You know, mm. <laughs> It makes you wonder is there more than a grain of truth to that? Yeah. Yeah, it's not good. It's not mm. good from QPR. It's not good from the authorities. It's, it's not good at all. Um, but again, we reiterate that our wishes are with Brian yeah, and we definitely. we certainly definitely. hope before recovery is made. Chaps, we've spoken a couple of times on the podcast about the fan-led mm-hmm. review. Tony, mm-hmm. um, we gave a presentation to the fan-led review to Miss Tracy Crouch. James, we invited you and uh, your media colleagues to uh, a special presentation of it. And now we've got the, the full package of the report. It's 168 pages long, so I'm not going to go through all of it with everyone. Um, but I'm sure you'll have seen some key key points that have come out of it. What's what's taken your eye in particular? What have you noticed that you really like the look of? Independent financial regulator, basically. Um, and this was a strong topic on the Monday Night Football on Sky the other night. And they mm-hmm. had Gary Neville on there, who's obviously got a foot in all camps, given that he's um, owner of Salford City. And there seems to be a misconception around the world that the government would be the regulator of the football but that's not the case the government the government will just appoint a person to put a panel of independence together yeah you just need uh, you need a regulator mm-hmm. <laughs> the the independence is a, a no-brainer it's got to be um you know separate from the government and separate from the football authorities otherwise you, you know you're susceptible to cronyism all over the shop and can't have that. It's already like that now in football. It's an absolute wild west out there. And the championships, the major case in point, at least in the Premier League, they all get them TV millions. But in the championship, you've got three of them getting Premier League parachute payments. And those are the three that are always pretty much guaranteed to be up and around it unless you're Bournemouth and you mess it up. Mm. Um, and then it's not fair on the other um, teams in the championship. And they're all scrapping around from that. You know that—that's one very, very simple thing that you could just scrap and deploy, 
deploy is not the right word, is it? Spend that money throughout the rest of the football pyramid to help out. But you know, and this independence would be to ensure Berry doesn't happen again, yeah. Derby doesn't happen again, Macclesfield doesn't happen again. Those kind of those kinds of things. Yeah, Chester. Wrexham, yeah, I mean the list. Could, could be so many of them. The list. But you know, I'd even, I'd even, I'd even go so far as that the Newcastle situation shouldn't have happened. You can't have a fit and proper te- person to test if the owners of your football club are beheading journalists in embassies and admitting it. You know, I know they're saying it's separate from the state. It's not, is it? It's absolutely not. You know. And I can't wait for Newcastle to get relegated, to be frank, quite frank. I can. The biggest club in the world to get relegated, and just can. to show these people. The steps to their away end. I can tell you're in the press box, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, we've, we've spoken about all the, the, the ills of football a lot um, over the seasons and the years that we've been doing this. And those things really rile people that, that owners can come in and, either asset strip teams or take or state oil money and boost a club beyond their means. Um, you know, Man City being a case in point. Only not very long ago that they were knocking around in the third division of English football, were they? weren't they? Chelsea even. Leeds, yeah. Um, so an independent regulator then, because it's something that we called for in the presentation that we gave to um, Tracy Crowd and her colleagues. Yeah. That works in a simple way that everyone just complies their financial information to this independent regulator. Yeah. It's well, literally simple. as simple yeah. as that. Yeah, and they make sure they pay their tax and their national insurance. And don't yeah. sell stadiums back to the owners. Yeah. And, exactly. so, and then lie about so basically it or try and fiddle it. Just for those that haven't kind of got into the ins and outs of an independent regulator, the, the independent regulator basically will ensure that financial rules with which the world has to apply to are complied to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, it's not taking money out of anyone. It's not anything else. It's simply just making sure the protocols that are but in place. I'd, I'd also like to see this, this, this regulator make sure that all the clubs are treated on an equal footing in terms of when they commit breaches, some are not treated more leniently than others. Yeah. I mean, as a club, we have a unique perspective of having to battle rogue owners over the year. If you look at the names that repeatedly come up, it's the same people time and time again with clubs, and yet they still somehow manage to pass this uh, fit and proper persons test. I mean, it's not worth the paper it's written on. And the you know, negotiations like, as yeah. well. When, when there's no, there should be no. Go- if you break the rules, you should get the punishment. There should be a no negotiation. It shouldn't have taken this long to, to have the book thrown at Derby, no. should it? It should have been done last season. It might have. And, and for and, once, you might not believe this, but I'm actually on Wickham's side. Yeah, with yeah. that. And you don't know. get me started on the agreed points deduction malarkey. I did that in the last podcast. Then I, I know. Not, I know. Read in the same. There needs to be a set amount. That's the punishment. That's the points penalty. That's how much you're going to and this find, is, all that sort of stuff. And these things would be what an independent regulator would enforce. Yeah. 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 You can't just have it being made up on the hoof, which is what it feels like at the moment. I yeah, mean, no, the, I agree with that. At least, you know, the, 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 whether anything will happen with it, the Premier League and the EFL are talking about... Cutting uh, the parachute payments. Parachute payments. Got It's the first steps. Got to, got to go. But so I, then, I, I couldn't believe the comments of the leads. Yeah, uh, I'm going to come C- on to that in a second. C- so okay. hold, your, right. hold your thoughts with that one. Because one of the things, one of the recommendations that came out in the report was a transfer levy, which yeah. is where the Leeds um, chairman's not particularly impressed. Because, you know, they've given $1.5 billion to the um, pyramid structure. Uh, Premier League and next season and seasons beyond are giving 1.6 billion but surely a transfer levy and uh, correct me if I'm wrong if I've misunderstood this surely a transfer levy is it's not really Premier League clubs giving money is it it's just kind of it's a percentage of a transfer fee which would therefore be negotiated with the club that they're doing a deal with that then goes into a pot that then funds its way finds its way down to the football ground. So again, no one's sort of indirectly impacted here, are they? Other than potentially the receiving club who might receive a little bit less for their transfer fee. 
but they're going to make that back up when they come to them buying a player sort of thing. So that, that I can't see how that's a bad thing, a transfer levy. No, I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. I think the amount yeah. of money paid out for players and in fees and in wages is just... I mean, the one thing I would say ridiculous. about this transfer levy is I would like the the levy, the fee from the levy to come out of the agent's yes, fee yeah, rather yeah. than the transfer fee because that is taking money away from a club that you wouldn't yeah. be paying it to. Agents, some agents are good, but they earn an awful lot more out of football than what they should do. And then you might solve the problem of agents, um, you know, kicking up a storm with one player and telling you, to, you, you could get a bit more money going somewhere and else. Settling and players, settling yeah. players. I mean, you probably won't cut it out entirely because, you know, it's riddled in the game. Are, right, people are greedy, but... Hmm. I mean, the levy is, there's other, you know, comparative examples in the world. You know, football makes a lot of money. Football clubs make a lot of money um, from things like transfers. Um, but you could look in like the development world. So housing developers and land developers, when they want to build something, um, as probably Luton are finding out with, with Power Court, that to build that, to get the permission to build what you want and make all that money that you want, you have to pay a certain percentage into a pot that goes to things like schooling, schools, housing, infrastructure that the community needs. So a levy is simply just saying the football community would benefit from that. And who... The only person who doesn't like that is the Leeds. Leeds it's, it's a tax on the transfer. Well, I, actually, I say that. There was a good piece by Oliver Holt in the Daily Mail, which I don't usually read, but he's a good writer. How the um, the, the top clubs are already trying to you know, bandy together and find their way around anything that might come down the, down the road about that. Because, you know, ultimately, they're all massive, massive businesses that... And it's another sign of the need for an independent regulator to mm. uh, yeah. to oversee all of this. Um, Tony, one other, well, the, another thing that came out of the review, stronger fan representation. Uh, I think the phrase that was used in it, and I, have, I can't find it to hand, was shadow boards. Mm. Uh, obviously, we have a great dialogue with our own board, as a supporters trust, we've, uh, we're a shareholder of the club. So in many ways, we're, we're, we're down the road in regards to this, but I'm, I'm imagining there's an awful lot of clubs that aren't, otherwise they wouldn't keep going bust. Uh, that can only be a good thing. Com- uh, sorry, dialogue between club and fans. Oh, it, it, there's got to be. There's, you know, there's so many football clubs up and down the country that the fans of these clubs, they don't, they don't know who their directors are, who 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 own the club, what their intentions are, you know, and uh, the, I've said it before, I've said it a number of times, football, and I, I hate it being described as an industry, I really do, um, but it's got to be the only industry where um, that doesn't listen to its customers, it's paying customers because they're in a unique position because you're not going to travel very Unless you live in Milton Keynes, of course, you, you, you don't change a club, do you? No. Um, and uh, they take that for granted. They think they've got an unending supply. You know, you know, even if your club has pissed you off and that, and, and you, you, you're a football supporter, and you decide, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go and support them. You don't suddenly think, I'll go down the road and support them. It, it doesn't work like that. So that needs to be taken into account. And a lot of the decisions and everything that are taken by clubs and everything is totally against the best interests and wishes of their fans. Um, you've seen, you've, you've seen it. Like, I can think of two two clubs where the owners have come in and wanted to change the name, wanted to change the colours and everything else. And there's no appreciation of history and, 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 and culture. You know... Um, and that needs to be taken into account. You know, you, you, you can't you can't do that with a club. It's another good time to remind people that we actually own the assets to exactly, uh, yeah. to our football club on regards of the name, the colours, the badge, uh, and a couple of other and and, to, and, and well. let, let's be honest about that. That um, 
that does put us in a, a unique position because I, 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 we're the only trust that have got that. Um, but we as a trust, we didn't initiate that. No, that's right. The, the, the club did that. 2020 did that. Yeah. Um, because we're lucky that they're, they're, they're all Luton fans and they do have the club's best interests at heart. Um, yeah, we, we weren't going to turn it down, you know, because it, 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 it's good. But I think that sort of thing should be with supporters. There, there yeah. certainly should be some supporters in, in input. Now, I know in the world of business and everything, commercial decisions have to be made. And uh, those commercial decisions are not all the time going to be um, what supporters want to hear or go along with. But there needs to be some sort of inclusion and some sort of um, dialogue. Well, those th- those things are, I would say, they're pretty much sacrosanct. I think mm. that they they can't. They're above business decisions. They mm. they are the you know the heartbeat of the club. Mm. And, you know, other than the fans who 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 make those things what they are. They are the link to the heritage. They're, they're everything about the club. They are what makes the club. You know, players come and go, managers come and go, stadiums might change. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I the mean, name and the badge and the colours and stuff, that is that is right up there. It's, it's what it, Those are the things that you, as a young boy who gets into football, or a young girl gets into football, those are the first things. You know, mm-hmm. when I was younger, I was just drawing badge of the club and drawing football kits and stuff like that. They're the only thing to care about and that's why you fall in love with it. Everything else as you get older comes into it. But at the very, very basic level is when you're a kid, it's those things. I don't but, think anyone would expect a, a supporter to be involved in a commercial decision of a club, would they? But there's no reason why that commercial decision can't then be explained to supporters who are in the know of that kind of they can be. thing. They can be consulted. I think they should be. And I think that's one of the good things that seem to come out of the European Super League is the clubs that are in that all forced, most of them, I think, forced their boards to include a fan on on the board for decisions. Now, how far that goes, I don't know. But it's stuck. Well, that, that, that European Super League thing, um, despite all the rhetoric and pure bullshit that came out of them, it wasn't for the good of the game. It was all about protectionism and elitism. That's yeah. what that was about. And I think that the, the, the clubs involved in that were, were not so much surprised, but more shocked at the reactions of their supporters. Mm-hmm. And it just showed to me how out of touch they are. Yeah, you know, out of touch with it with their fans. Well, then, I mean, you know, Liverpool, and Manchester United are not run by Englishmen, let alone no. Liverpool, and Manchester United fans for a start. Um, well, uh, Arsenal are run by an American who yeah. just buys up Aston franchises well. in sport, doesn't he? So Wrexham are now as well, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. But they, yeah, but they they're doing it the right way, from what I yeah. can see. They're they're yeah. consulting fans. They're you know in the up with the fans drinking and you know they they can probably see a good business opportunity as well but they're trying to get to know the heritage of the club and be part of that and mix it i mean I, ideally we we, we would uh, adopt the german model well yeah i mean we've said it plenty but of times that they've got it perfect you've got to have right, right 51 percent right fan ownerships <laughs> right throughout um football um in this country, it, it, it's not the FA who run it. It's the the club chairman of the Premier League clubs. Yeah, yeah that was and the it's point. Al- always the case of the the tail wagging the dog. That was the point that uh, Gary Neville made on the yeah. um, on the Monday Night Football this week. I, I mean, we're all for fan inclusion, aren't we? I mean, you know, that's the whole point of this podcast, first and foremost. But um, hopefully, that's something that gets approved at all 92 clubs. You mentioned... 91 league clubs. No. <laughs> you meant last podcast of the year and we managed to get two digs in and those down the road. We're, uh, we're still on, on, on target for our uh, yearly amount. Uh, you mentioned girls growing up in football and uh, another thing to come out of the fan-led reviews, diversity and the promotion yeah. of diversity mm-hmm. within football. I think we're all sat around this table. We're all absolutely right behind that. As Trust, we sponsor two of the Luton... Uh, ladies players yeah. um, for the second year for the uh, third year I think it is, is it third? yeah we, um, 
prior to the pandemic. Can we we, can, we continued through them. <laughs> I would let you off with the pandemic, mate. Um, <laughs> we also have females on our board yes. and um, strong represent, female representation on our board. I mean, this is another no-brainer, isn't it, James? Of course it is, yeah. Um, women's World, sorry, Women's European Championship in this country next year as well. Yeah, you only have to look at the weekend as well. The Women's FA Cup final held at Wembley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it used to be held at, what, Barnet's Ground or something. Um, or yeah. if it was at Wembley, it'd have like 3,000 people there. I believe the crowd was 40,000 at the weekend. Yeah, the whole bottom tier was taken up, and that's a, that's a massive start, uh, a, a massive boost. But that's been coming for years because of like the European Championships where and the Olympics where the British women did really well, the, the screening of the WSL on TV. On the, BBC, yeah. The, you know, um, the roundup show for the Women's League. Yeah, I, I know that the this... level of comedy on BBC is not that bad at the moment. <laughs> I don't mean it <laughs> to joke. <laughs> All um, correspondence goes yeah. to Josh uh, Hare and Tony Murray. I mean, I know that um, the FA Cup final at the weekend was the uh, the final from last season because it had to carry over. It did get a bit confusing. It did it? get a bit confusing. Yeah. And I don't know if this is the case. Not as confusing as the JPT, though. They had the final of last season on a Saturday and then mm. the final of this season on the Sunday. So we've not gone that bad. We've not gone that bad. But um, that's what I was referring to when I meant comedy. You know? I mean, I don't know if it's the case, and, and I hope it is. And um, Maybe it's already happening and I haven't uh, clocked it, but it, it would be... What a hell of a day out it would be uh, to have the, the men's FA Cup final and the women's FA Cup final on the same day at Wembley. Well, I mean, it can't be too long away because, uh, as you all know, I'm a huge cricket fan. Cricket's my work and uh, and what I do. And the 100 was a competition that yeah. was invented this summer and the women's match was played before mm. the men's match on the same ticket. So you'd pay, uh, it's £15 for a ticket, it wasn't particularly expensive. And you'd get the women's match before the men's match. And the finals were played on the same day. The, the, all the way through the competition, apart from the first game, the first game of the tournament was a women's game, which was a standalone game, just the women. The rest of it, women before the men, mm. on the same ticket. And uh, I went to a number of games, enjoyed it. And I had not watched women's cricket prior to that, I have to admit. Uh, and it worked. So it can only be um, <laughs> it can only be a matter of time before that happens in football as well, can't it? I mean, it's an, it's an obvious think, thing, particularly if the same clubs happen to be in the cup final. I think it's heading that way, um, and it should do. You know, I think I saw Rugby League do the same thing as well, Challenge Cup final. I tell you, that's, that's one of the other things, I think, with the detriment of football, um, is what's happened to the FA Cup as well because of the Premier League and mm. the elite. You know, I, I can remember going up growing up and cup final day was sacrosanct in its own and that the whole day was a build up to the game yeah. it kicked off at three o'clock and it didn't matter who the teams were in, in the final um, everybody watched it mm. now you're lucky if it's 5.30 on a Saturday night and I can give a stuff about it and you get Premier League games at the same on the same day as well yeah. I think you're right though aren't you because if the cup final kicks off at 5.30 now you've got the whole day to put it you get the, the women's, women's game cup in. final in before yeah, it. And then yeah. they're not going to cut the pitch up or anything. It's going to be nice weather, largely nice weather in May. They want to mow the pitch. But that pitch is immaculate. Even after yeah. people have played on it, they can sort that pitch out easily in a couple of hours. Mm. It would probably not even that. They could sort it out and it'd be perfect and absolutely 100% playable for the next match. Whichever way it went around, whether it was the men first and the women, whatever. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's got to go that way. I, I watched the uh, I watched that final at the weekend. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, ten years ago maybe you'd look at it and the standard, and you'd be like, "What am I watching this for?" Sort of thing. If you've if you've watched men's football to a decent level, but there are people that still say that, and they always but they're draw the people on, that don't watch it though. But they, they draw on the physicality, and it's like, well, of course, yeah. women's football is not going to be as physical as men because yeah, that's I mean, the it, it's like you watch physiology of the two sexes. Yeah, it's like you watch the Olympics and you ex- and you expect the women's hundred meter runner to be the same exactly. time as the men's hundred meter runner. If you but think technically, they're really. The, the vast improvement over probably a decade has really been quite stark, and yeah, I enjoy, I enjoy watching the the roundup uh, games and and be honest, you're certainly and more entertaining than watching Wickham. Yeah, I mean the good thing is that, that, that that's on free to air terrestrial TV now, mm. 
and that will rope in young girls and it's that's the way it should be yeah absolutely and I, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to get my little girl to watch it at the minute she's in, more interested in unicorns but um you know it's but the fact that it's on there and i can switch it on a saturday or a sunday and um try and get her to watch a little bit is is exactly how it should be yeah no you're right because i mean i've got a niece who's six and another niece who's four and during the pandemic when um when we weren't in lockdown and my sister could watch the games with me because we go to home games together. Um, Sarah brought the kids around so that we all watched on the one I follow mm. rather than forking out however many £10 and things. And, I, you know, I would say to the girls, you know, why don't you go get involved in football? And they they, they see on the iFollows only men, and they're like, yeah. well, we don't want to play for men. But I said, no, there's girls, there's girls teams too. We can find you a girls team. And funnily enough, last month, one of my nieces did go and join a girls team. She loves it. Yeah. Wanted to go back straight away and, you know, didn't even get involved in the game. Was just happy to kick in the ball around with a friend just on the side and things. Yeah. And it was just... That's what you do, isn't it? That's what we did as youngsters, and that's what... I think you can't underestimate the impact and importance of any sport played and screened on terrestrial TV. I think cricket massively suffered in the fact that it lost the ashes to pay, uh, you know, behind a paywall. Well, all cricket's behind yeah. it now until the 100 came back. Well, and <laughs> I don't need you on in at cricket. <laughs> yeah, it did. I mean, and, and football will if every, every game is is played on, on Sky TV because not everyone can afford it. Um, so you need to have it there for people to see, to pe- for people to get involved in. Um, and if you if you take it away from people, then don't be surprised if the popularity of that sport wanes. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a great thing that diversity is on the forefront of this fan-led review. We will chop it up over the next sort of couple of months or so, and uh, I'm sure more is going to fall out from that. But just a quick line. The Premier League's reaction is disappointing. Uh, hugely, but did you expect anything less? Mm. <laughs> anything more? Indeed, I don't know what we the... knew it wasn't going to be positive. Yeah, though. they don't want to give up the mo- their money. You know, all the bloody negotiations that happened during the pandemic when everyone was saying there's clubs going to go to the wall and you can you can help out. Well, well, let's have a chat. Well, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> They barely even got around the table, did they? So, so the we'll, strong message will give you a few crumbs off the table. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. So the strong message then is that as football fans, we need to make sure that this review is in the forefront for as long as it can be until well, till the main points are implemented. Yeah, I did say earlier that the, the Leeds CEO's comments about it being Maoist were very at best disappointing and at worst ridiculous. You know, all people are asking for is fairness. We'd expect a little better from a Luton fan. Yes, that you is, would. That yes, is you would. Sure. Yeah. Um, let's have a look at what's to come then. Do we have to look at Saturday? Does anyone? Are we confident? <laughs> no, we're not confident about Saturday, are we? Nathan, in his pre-match press conference earlier, James, he said it's the toughest game of the season. Uh-huh. Uh, there's no complaints about that, is there? No. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I... I'm not looking forward to that one, to be quite, I don't to be quite frank. Um, you know, Luton have played quite well against Fulham, actually, um, in, the, in the games that I've seen them um, in the two, two available championship seasons. But, um, you know, they've got so much strength and power and pace and goals and money and Everything. <laughs> I made the mistake of watching the Fulham game against Bournemouth on telly last week, and I say the mistake, it was a really good game of football, but unfortunately, given that we're playing them next, it was a bloody good game of football, and you're like, oh, Christ, yeah. we and I've got our work cut out. However, Tony, on the flip side of that, we should have got something from Bournemouth earlier in the season, yes, I, I just and we that, often yeah. do play up to these sides, don't we? So, yeah, uh, I, any optimism? Um do you want an honest answer? Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to go to the game uh, not expecting anything. Uh, anything that does come out of it will be a bonus for me. Um, but our football club is just one of those teams that um, they're quite capable of going out there and blowing Fulham away. But at the same time, you know, they, they could lose three or four nil to the club that's bottom of the table. Um so I, I, I'll be lucky, you know, I, I'm hoping for a 1-1 draw. 
I also watched Fulham when they did Blackburn 7 and so uh, mm. not, I've not got good vibes on uh, Saturday. So the boys don't think that Nathan Jones's 100th win as Luton manager is going to come up Fulham against Fulham on I'm Saturday. Praying I'm, I'm praying I'm wrong. Will it come against Reading the following Saturday? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. As long as they don't take a massive beating from them, I suppose. Um, well, if they, they do, they always bounce they back. They do bounce don't back, they? yeah. We, we, we do something from really, don't we? Yeah. Thankfully, not a cup draw. Mm. I mean, yeah, you never never play particularly well at their place in the league, though, mm. really. So that's got to change, isn't it? Um, and if you're talking about evolution, again, you've got to break those little runs and records that you've got. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think um, it could be the time. I want to ask you if you're looking forward to Reading away, because no one looks forward to Reading away, but are you looking forward to a win? Can you see a win? Can Nathan get his 100th win? Yeah, yeah, I think we, we're quite capable of doing it. Um, the last time uh, I went to Reading was the first season back in the Championship, and down there the day and everything, and I wasn't particularly impressed and I'm sort of less than enthusiastic about maybe going down there this time, but I think we could win that. It's the drum. That's what makes you less enthusiastic. Well, that's, yeah. I got a bloody hangover when I got to Reading last time. Did they they do that? Where they put their vocal support either side of the... They have vocal support? I've only ever heard the drum. They they, they had two sets either side of the away fans where you think the logical thing would be to put them together. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, yeah. Their local, paper. We are talking their local really? paper did a story about our Luton fans don't like going to Reading. I did see that. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, you know, it was, you know, there was an awful lot of uh, skullduggery on uh, Twitter and things. But they would be behind us even without their points deduction. So there's no reason why. Mm-hmm. Well, they're no, they're, the, the league table suggests they're no better than us, at least. Actually, Fulham are the only team in this run, you know, uh, until Coventry, who are above us in the table. So it's not necessarily a, na- a nasty run coming up. And uh, it's, it's something about the championship, isn't it, that Luton must play Bristol City around Christmas time. Yeah. And that's a strange one, isn't it? That's going to happen again, because there there are visitors on Boxing Day. Um, how do you see that one going? Obviously, Drew won one. Uh, earlier in the season it's actually the first game of this sort of second rotation so to speak uh, Drew won one there Danny Hill and finally getting off the mark uh, as a championship player just um, probably deserved an awful lot more than mm, that one one draw um, you'd like to think in front of our own fans Boxing Day always a big occasion three points in that one for me yeah yeah you know it's, it, you're getting to the point probably already at the point actually if you're looking at the teams below you you've got to be fancying victories in those yeah and what I'm really looking forward to in that game Tony is Tyreek Backinson has seemed to have found his way into the Bristol City side since mm. we went there um, so we've kind of got a reminder of why we've why we've let him go and you know it, those who are in our midfield can kind of show how far we've progressed up in front of him sort of thing yeah yeah definitely um you know, players come and go for different reasons. We felt it best to go. Uh, I think we've got far better midfielders. You know, I, I can I can see us getting three points there. Uh, of course, Chris Martin comes back to Kenilworth Road in that game as yeah. well. Well, he always scores that, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. So we'll just have to score two, <laughs> won't we? Uh, another game that we uh, don't tend to get too much from is Swansea away in the Championship. That's ridiculously placed on a Wednesday night between Christmas and New Year. Um, 3-3 in the home game. Mm. Obviously battered them for an hour, got battered for half an hour, came out all square. Mm-hmm. How do we see this one going? They're a football inside, much in the same way that Blackpool were at the weekend. They are, but the run of results against them has been absolutely appalling, isn't it, really? Mm. Um, you always miss games against them, don't you? I've covered an awful lot of them games for you. It's a long old way to Swansea. It's a long old way to Swansea. Yeah, I don't suppose you're going there on a Wednesday night, are you? I don't know. In between Christmas and New Year, when nothing happens, I might be able to force myself. Um, No, I'm just not confident about anything at their point at their place. Does the home game and the way that it faded so drastically give us a point to prove in that game, though? Yeah, I think so. I think we're quite capable of getting the point down there. Yeah, Although this, yeah, but the thing about that, I mean, yeah, look there, Luton in the home game. I mean, Luton was second best in the second half, but they still had to score three deflected outside of the box shots, didn't they? Yeah, 
cut a swathe through there. And it, yeah, disappointing, of course it was. But you're not going to do that again, <laughs> really. You know, law of averages. Touch some wood, <laughs> cross some fingers. And if we're motivated from what happened in the reverse game, then the one on New Year's Day, we're going to face motivation, aren't we? Because we're going to your favourite place, James, of the Rico Arena. Um, obviously, when they came down here, they got absolutely wiped out. They're good so at their, their place, aren't they? They'll be looking for revenge as well, won't they? They've got a good record this season at their place, haven't they? So, mm. um, uh, well, they were in good form when they came, in, came to Luton, weren't they? They were flying. And, um, I think they were third or fourth, weren't they? Dropped down to six to go or seven, didn't they? Yeah. In, uh, at that game, and they already buggered it up. But um, uh, well, they play football. That's a good thing. And um, any team that does that stand a decent chance. It's the teams like Stoke and Cardiff who just come to kick the ball in the air and time waste. And mm. uh, that's that's the one where Luton haven't really found a solution to yet. Um, so yeah. I've, um, I'll go for another win why not <laughs> going to the Rico Arena uh, yeah <laughs> bring an umbrella though you will yeah we're alright in the way and it's alright in there I think if we can keep them out for the first 20 minutes we're in with a shout keep them out we were falling up after 20 minutes in the other game I mean what's wrong with you man uh, yeah no I think confidence is high there so I mean the, you know, the Christmas period is always a great time for a football fan isn't it and apart from the trip to Swansea, which is long and it's probably not going to be pretty and it might not even um, come back with too much. Apart from that, it should be, uh, should be a good um, a good period. At least we're playing football inside. So like James said, we're not playing Cardiff, we're not playing Stoke. So that's very much positive. Just quickly, we'll cover it in the next podcast, the first one of 2022. Thoughts on the cup draw? Adequate. <laughs> it's at home, that's all I care yeah, about. Yeah, that's yeah. all I cared about as well. Yeah, yeah. same here. Same here, and we've got a good chance of going through the next round. So. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, just before we finish then, we've just previewed those games, but uh, we're going to be impacted going to those games, judging by what Bumbling Boris said yesterday. Um, plan B is now in operation. So any outdoor venue or any venue full stop that has more than 10,000 capacity, uh, you're going to need a COVID passport. Uh, COVID passports, yes or no, James? No. Um, but I, uh, while we've been speaking, actually, Luton Town have put out a statement on um, Plan B. Uh, shall I read it? Go for it. They said, following the announcement from the government on Wednesday, 8th of December, Luton Town Football Club can advise that there will be no change to the match day arrangements currently in place for support of intended fixtures at Kenworth Road. There's plenty more to it, but that says that there's going to be no change and. I'm glad of that. So it's an away, it's an away thing then. So when if you go to Reading, you'd have already needed a COVID passport if you were going to Swansea anyway, because Wales operating different rules to the rest of civilization, um, and obviously Coventry as well. You'll need it there if these are enforced in football. We don't actually know yet. I think it's still got to pass Parliament, hasn't it? Before it's absolutely confirmed. yeah. And there's a bit of mutiny going on in there, isn't there? Because yeah. of, of that. Uh, I mean, let's make no bones about it. The announcement yesterday smacked of trying, trying to, to hide some trying tra- to hide yeah. some bad news. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it it was very transparent. It obviously, badly thought out, done on the day to to try and distract from this party that they've uh, already fucked up on. And um, I hope it it's the the one final that didn't, straw that knocks them over. But the one that didn't go ahead that might have gone ahead that now has gone ahead, but no one wants to take responsibility. Don't go to work, but go to your office pass. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, COVID passports? No, no, we're uh, we're against COVID passports here. Unfortunately, if it's passed through Parliament, you will need yeah. to get one. So do make sure you have the NHS COVID app at your disposal because you will need it. Unfortunately. Um, that's the end of this podcast. Just before we finish, we'd like to say a huge thank you to the Hightown Club for hosting us once again. Fantastic uh, hospitality. We really appreciate that. Uh, if you um, are a regular listener, like, um, subscribe, review our podcast. We really appreciate all the feedback. I'm getting loads and loads and loads of feedback, both at games and in supporters that I speak to. And um, we really appreciate all of that. We're hoping to have another player uh, coming on the podcast before Christmas so if you subscribe to the podcast you'll get a notification of that uh, the AGM was 
taken place uh, towards the end of last month. We once again thank Simon Parcell for his contribution to the evening. He was fantastic. Um, we will be represented at the Family Fun Day prior to the game against Fulham on Saturday, where you can join the Trust. And if you haven't already joined the Trust and you join on that day, you'll go into a draw to win a signed Luton Town shirt, where you will have the honour, if you win it, of having it presented to you at half-time during the game by our very own Tony Murray sat alongside me. <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. So apart from that, there is an incentive <laughs> yeah. to uh, to join the Trust. Um, but if you're not at the game or you you don't have time to come and see us, pop onto our website and make sure you download the membership form. Uh, with what we spoke about with the fan-led review, the stronger our membership, the stronger our voice can be. And we'll always do our very best to represent our members and the Luton Town support base at large. Gents, thank you for your company. Have a great Christmas and a happy new year. And that wish is extended to the whole Luton family, uh, all of our listeners and all Luton fans far and wide across the world. We hope you have a very good Christmas, uh, prosperous new year. The best Christmas present would be uh, good news from Brian Rourke as well. Absolutely yeah. it would, yeah. And uh, we'll be back with you as always mm-hmm. early January, looking ahead to another exciting month of football and of course the January transfer window, which we'll get stuck into mm. early doors in January. But uh, have plenty of Christmas turkey, plenty of Christmas sherry, enjoy the football and we'll see you in 2022. Yeah. Have a great time, everybody. Cheers, boys. Happy Christmas. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. <laughs>